Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lost Floors Church. And I just want to say from us here at Lost Floors Church here in Carlsbad, California, we want to wish you a happy Easter. I hope you're having a fantastic Sunday morning wherever you are. And today we're going to celebrate Easter by talking about the idea of being worthy of someone's love or just being loved. Because there is a difference. You see, I was raised by amazing parents. I feel like I'm so fortunate to have such good parents that loved me growing up. And, and to be completely honest with you, I didn't always deserve their love. <laughs> Especially through my teenage years, I did many things that I am sure disappointed them, frustrated them. And I remember several times my dad saying, you are a pain in the butt, <laughs> but I love you anyway. <laughs> a very true statement. If you have kids, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I, I remember my parents, they were at every sporting event I ever participated in that I can remember. Uh, whether I won, whether I lost, uh, they were there. And there were times I'm sure that I let them down or it was tough for them, but they were there. And I won a lot of things and I'd lost things and I played bad and yet they were still there and I remember my very last football game ever played in it was in college my senior year and in the midst of that game I got into a fight and things got a little out of control and I ended up getting kicked out of the game my very last football game I get kicked out of the game and I'm just gonna say my parents were probably quite disappointed in that but when the game was over and I came walking out of the locker room they were there and they loved me. And the thing is, is when I look at that, I think, man, there were times that I was not worthy of their love. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, but they just loved me, period. Today, as we celebrate Easter, I want to look again at, at Passover and, and how that ties to Easter even Today, Last week we talked about Passover, and basically Passover in a very simplistic form goes all the way back to Egypt. And you remember the ten plagues that God, through Moses, brought down on Egypt so that God would let the Israelite people go, so they wouldn't be slaves anymore. And the tenth plague was by far the worst. Every oldest born child in Egypt was killed. But the Israelite families were spared that simply by putting the blood of a lamb over their door, rubbing it on their door frame, so the angel of death passed over. That's what Passover is. And so what happened is on the 10th day of the month, those Israelites, they picked the perfect lamb. They watched it for five days to make sure it was spotless, and then they killed it, and they put the blood on the door frame, and that protected them. The symbol for Egypt was the serpent. And so this is this visual uh, imagery that the lamb, the blood of the lamb, defeats the serpent or the enemy, which we know today is as Satan. And so you fast forward to Palm Sunday when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's the 10th day of the month. He comes in as the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb. And they watch him for five days to make sure that he's worthy, just like this lamb. See, uh, the Jewish people had celebrated Passover for, for 1,500 years by the time Jesus came along. Uh, this was a festival. This was a, a joyous celebration that they celebrated every year. 
And so as he's riding into town, if you remember, they laid their coats on the road, they laid palm branches, they waved palm branches, and they sang the praises to Jesus. What they were saying is Jesus was worthy of their praise. So here Jesus is, is worthy. Uh, kind of like that lamb they chose was worthy. But they had to watch him for five days. So five days go by, and it's, it's Thursday night. And on Thursday night, Jesus and his disciples, they prepare the Passover meal for that night. So they would have been cooking the lamb. That They would have drained the blood from the lamb. That They would have done everything that a typical Jewish family does to celebrate Passover. But at that meal, you can just imagine the inside dynamics going on. Judas has already agreed to betray him. He's already gotten his 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knows that. During that meal, as they eat Passover, Jesus tells them that he's going to die that very night. And they adamantly say, no way, you're, you're not going to die. And Peter says, I'll die before you die. <laughs> and, and at the end of that meal, Jesus has washed their feet and all of these things. And at the end of the meal, Jesus says, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I want to go there and pray. And as they're there and as they pray, the disciples keep falling asleep. They, they can't even stay awake. And Jesus is, is so earnestly crying out to God, yet they can't even stay awake. And, and then by the time that is all over, Jesus and the disciples, they walk out of the garden right into this detachment of soldiers and religious leaders. And here Jesus is arrested. And, and in that moment, although Peter, man, he tries to defend Jesus, comes in with the sword, Jesus rebukes him, heals the soldier, and at that point they arrest him. And what it says in Matthew 26, 56 is at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Uh, so here Jesus for three years has been their, their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, their friend. And, and now in this instance, Jesus is arrested. They all run for their lives. Why? Because they don't want to be arrested. And, and, and so at some point during that night, as they're running in the darkness, they are confused and scared. Peter stops. And, and Peter comes back and he, he, he follows at a distance. He doesn't want to get too close. It says this in verse 58. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. And so here Peter is sitting outside, and some people begin to recognize him and say, oh, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? And he says, no, that's not me. Another person asks, he says, no. And the third time, this is what it says in verse 74, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. So here Peter sits outside of where Jesus is being tried. And he's denied him now three times. And what makes this so dramatic as the rooster crows is just earlier that night, Peter was adamant that Jesus, I won't let them kill you. They would have to kill me first. And Jesus tells him, oh, even tonight, Peter you're going to betray me. Here's what it says in 26, 33 through 35. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will 
never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, insisted Peter, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples bowed the same. Now, <laughs> all the other disciples bowed the same. What happened when he was arrested? They all ran. Uh, Peter at least had enough fortitude to come follow, well, at a distance. But they denied him. There was no dying with him or dying for him. All of these disciples ran, and they hid as their friend was tried. <laughs> you see, while Peter's denying him, Jesus is on trial. And, and here he is on trial, and the, and the religious leaders... Uh, in this court, they pronounce him worthy of death. It says in verse 66, what do you think? This is a high priest saying this. What do you think? And the crowd said, he is worthy of death. How, how interesting is it that this man that on Monday was worthy of praise he comes in as the spotless lamb. He's worthy of praise. They watch him for five days, and on day five, he becomes worthy of death. But just think about that. He had to be worthy of death because he was the lamb. And so every year for 1,500 years, they picked out the most deserving lamb, the spotless lamb. What did they do? They watched him for five days to make sure he was perfect so that they could sacrifice him. He had to be perfect. He had to be worthy of the praise, and he had to be worthy of death. And so here Jesus is worthy of death. And in verses 67 and 68, it says, Then they spit in his face, struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Jesus is now worthy of death. What's interesting is we know that Jesus is worthy. We've all learned that growing up. He is the perfect spotless lamb. But no one else in this story seems worthy. Certainly not worthy of love. Not worthy of the love of God, the love of his son, Jesus. I mean, just look at the story. His closest friends, they betrayed him. They, they fled. They denied him. The religious leaders, they wanted him dead. They slapped him. They spit on him. They laughed at him. The, Ro the Roman soldiers that were there, they flogged him. They beat him, and they nailed him to a cross, and he died there. And you have to ask. You have to ask, what went wrong? <laughs> and really, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of time. What went wrong with God's creation? God created this beautiful world for us to live in. He created man and woman as the prize of this world. And, and then, only three chapters into the Bible, they believe the serpent, the enemy, and they take the fruit. And from that point on, the world began to spin out of control. Humanity just got farther and farther from God. Until God finds this man named Abraham. 
And, and he chooses Abraham and he calls Abraham to go to this whole new region. And he gives Abraham this covenant promise. And, and here's what it says in Genesis 12, what God says to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be a blessing through you. You see, God chooses Abraham and his descendants. And he chooses them as this, this line, this, this, this line that eventually is going to produce the promised one. You see, there's three promises here that God gives Abraham. The first one is he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And the second one, he's going to possess the promised land, this, this land that is going to be just theirs. And the third thing is he says, everyone on earth, not just you and your descendants, but everyone will be blessed through you. You see, these promises are still effective <laughs> to us today. We are still blessed through these same promises. And, and you have to ask, what made Abraham and his descendants worthy of such a promise? And the answer is simple, nothing. <laughs> nothing made them worthy. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. You can just read through this family line. There is everything bad. There's sexual immorality. There is murder. There is lying, cheating, deceiving, everything you can think of. This line doesn't have a lot of good. It's not much different than any other line. It's just that they were simply chosen by the God of the universe so that he could love the rest of the universe, the rest of his people, so he could show them his love. So in Egypt, this Passover that I talked about earlier was about death, but it was also about life. You see, the death of this lamb led to life for the Israelite people. It led to freedom from slavery. It led to them living in the promised land. It, it led to this, this blessing that God gave them. And so the Israelites, they put this blood over this wooden doorframe so that they would be under the covenant promise of God. And then Jesus dies on this wooden cross and his blood covers this wooden cross, that today we get to be under that cross. That blood gives us the same promise that God gave the Israelites back in Egypt. That blood sets us free, free from the bondage of sin and the bondage of our past. It gives us the promised land, not, not land on this earth, but this forever promised land. It's heaven. And, and then it's this, this idea that it's not just for us, it's for everybody. It's for you and me. It's for people in Ukraine. It's for people all over the world. It's not just us. It's for all people. So Jesus dies on this wooden cross. His blood soaks into that cross and forever gives us that covenant protection. But the thing about Jesus' death and the death of a lamb. For 1,500 years, they've been killing lambs. Some 250 lambs every year, probably more, have been dying 
to protect the Israelite people. And then here comes Jesus and he dies and he protects all humanity. But there's this added bonus. You see, on Friday, Jesus died. Then on Sunday morning, something happened. Jesus somehow defeated death. And he walks out of the grave and he appears to his disciples and to other people. And they see the, the scars in his hands and his feet. And these marks on his body are part of this, this covenant promise that you will never again have to kill a spotless lamb. Because the ultimate lamb has died. And then he defeated death. So now we no longer have to participate in this killing of an animal. We have the ultimate promise of God. Jesus died the spotless lamb. And then he rose again and he defeated death. And we get all of those same promises. We get freedom from sin, from bondage. We get the eternal promised land. And it's not just for us. It's for all people. You remember the lamb in Egypt? He defeated the serpent, which we know is the enemy, right? Here, Jesus, the perfect lamb, he defeats the enemy. He defeats the serpent forever. We go back to that night. As Jesus is, is hanging on the cross, one of the most profound things that I read in all of Scripture is as the perfect lamb, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He cries out to God, our creator. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here he's asking for forgiveness for those that are killing him, for the high priest that just demanded he be executed, and for the soldiers that arrested him, for his disciples that deserted him, for us today that don't deserve his love. He says, Father, forgive them. These people, they don't deserve the love of Jesus, Judas, Peter, the other ten that ran, the religious leaders, the soldiers, us. For me to stand up here and say I am worthy of the love of Jesus is not a true statement. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. None of us can. But I can say that the God of the universe that created us looks down at us and says, but it was worth it. You are worth it, and I love you, period. I, I look back to the beginning of that night. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, when you look at this love of Jesus, this idea that he's hanging on the cross and he's asking God to forgive those that just killed him, those that betrayed him, those that fled. <laughs> and he's saying, hey, I want you to love the way that I love. 
Because then when the world looks at you and they go, oh my goodness, that love is different, then they'll know. Then they will know that you are mine. That's a powerful statement. Love like Jesus loves. Because quite often we say things like, man, they, they don't deserve my love. They're not worthy of my affection. But in all reality, it doesn't matter. Because God created them. They are made in the image of God just like I am made in the image of God. And so when God says, love the way that I love, that's a big, bold statement. But when we do love the way that Jesus loves, that, that will change the world. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being worthy of praise and being worthy of death so that we would be made worthy in your image. We praise you for your death. We praise you for your resurrection. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.